Hey everyone, it's Amber and Louise here. Just before we jump in, this episode does discuss sensitive topics such as drug usage, self-harm and suicide. So if you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org or contact Lifeline on 131114. Here at The Query, we acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Turrbal and Yagara people. We also pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to the Query! Oh, 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 hey, what's up? Mariah? Hey Hey everyone, welcome Welcome to to the Query! So we're all in for a treat today because we have the amazing Monty Star joining us. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Bonjour. (laughs) Bonjour. The beret is on, ready to go. Oui. Oui. I actually (laughs) bought a beret when I was in New Zealand. Like six months ago, and I that haven't the worn it. Weird place to buy a beret. I know it was no, it was at like a French market. And I was like, oh, this yeah. kind of cute, but I haven't worn it. But I'm going to Paris in December. Right. But can I wear a beret in Paris, or is that yes? No, I think that's the point. Is I'm, it okay? I'm mm. going to Paris in January, and I've told myself I will be wearing one. Okay. I just didn't want people to be like, oh my god, this I is want to ride a bicycle with a, a baguette in my basket and a beret on. That's all. Bonjour. Yeah, I like I've it. I've been told that a beret is the equivalent to like beanies. Okay. In winter for an Aussie. Right. But they're like, like it's, they just, it's just the hat okay, that sure. they wear. Yeah. Right. No, it's cute. Mm. It's really very, cute. I like it. Very French, very international. Well, fun fact, actually, since they were talking about New Zealand, um, my heritage is from the French town outside of Christchurch. Oh, and my wow, grandparents really? are French and they moved from Paris to that town. I have no idea what it's called. Wow. Um, so then you're like, I bought a beret in, in New Zealand. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, there makes sense. French I mean, people. Makes sense. Yeah, there, <laughs> there is French, French people, people in New yeah. Zealand. So. There we go. Are yeah, you right. so you like? Are you? Do you have any New Zealand in you? Like caught in New Zealand or anything? Or is it just that they came from Paris and then? Well, my biological father, he is Kiwi. Like he was born in yeah, New Zealand, but both go. his parents were French. Right. And then my mum was born in North Queensland, but both her parents were um, Yugoslavian. Oh wow! Yeah, cool mix. So I'm like sort of this weird Australian New Zealand immigrant. Mix. Mix. Mm. Yeah, so right. funky. Mm. Well, um, we know that you have a really fascinating story. We're super excited to hear more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll start how we always do with our episodes. Yeah, so absolutely. what are your pronouns and what names do you go by and when? Uh, my pronouns are he, they. Um, Monty Star is my name. Um, in drag, um, or I have a new sort of performer name i don't want to call it a drag name because mm-hmm. i'm eliminating the word drag and just going for more artiste yeah. um but it's miss star star because it's a pun on being female as miss star and just being mister i so, like you know. that but there's already a miss tar in brisbane so i do want to acknowledge her because she's fabulous mm-hmm. um and i'm not coming for her gig Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it just it works with Monty Star. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I love that. And uh, my pronouns in performing. Sorry, I didn't get to that That's point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, are they them? Perfect. Great. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience growing up as a queer person? Uh, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, being a queer person was awful. My childhood wasn't, but mm. um, I grew up um, around the Noosa hinterland, mm-hmm. um, and. Lots of people usually go, oh, Noosa, lucky you. It's No, it wasn't. It's, it's a coastal tradie town. Um, and, you know, it was the 90s. So um, it's just people are really narrow-minded in sort of small towns because they're not exposed to um, diversity full yeah. stop. Yeah. Um, 
So, of course, because people aren't exposed to things and understand them, so usually they end up getting picked on. So, yeah, my whole schooling experience was turmoil and, um, yeah, it was a bit shitty. And I also grew up in a Christian household. Yeah, right. Born again Christian, so very rulesy. Wow. Um, so the topic of queer wasn't really brought up. But my sanctuaries, I like my parents still let me do things that I enjoyed. So I sewed, I made wearable art and mm. um, I danced from the age of four. I was part of the Queensland Youth Ballet, the Australian Youth oh, Ballet. Oh, wow. Queensland Dance Company. That's um, awesome. What kind of, so ballet? Yeah, heavily involved with ballet, contemporary. Um, awesome. I ended up doing um, my advanced diploma in performing arts. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, I have a diploma in musical theatre. Look at us so go. It's, um, and we're utilising. We are, we are doing. So we're doing so well. You're doing well, sweetie. dollars <laughs> down the drain. But it was mm. worth it because it was fun. Yes. That's cool that they let you still, you know, pursue arts and do all of that. It yeah. wasn't like, you know, closed off to you. I think I'm just – one thing I really like about myself, and I don't know where it comes from, maybe it's celestial, but um, I've always kind of known who I am. I've mm. got this sort of solidarity within myself, and um, I think my parents knew that as well. So yeah. it was just sort of like Monty doesn't like fishing. He doesn't want to try any of these sports. He loves the sewing machine or he loves going to ballet, so we're just going to have to pay and let him do that yeah. because it was there was no other choice. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I would have just been paying at the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they saw that as you were queer or do you think they just kind of thought at the first like you were like artistic? Artsy kid, yeah. I really love my parents, but when I was younger, I think they were a little bit more sheltered or simple-minded. So I think they told themselves that I wasn't gay so mm. they believed it so I don't think that they thought I was gay or maybe if it would came up they were just sort of like oh no he's just eccentric um even when I came out it was a shock to them and I yeah. was 19 and living with a partner at the time so oh, wow. <laughs> yeah wow yeah. yeah almost like that generational thing that they had in their brain that just didn't let them go oh yeah he's actually queer it's like that whole like don't ask don't tell yeah, yeah. it's like well, that's when- yeah. Yeah. And it is very generational. I mean, mm. like my dad especially, um, he is one of those people that just sort of like won't brush on something because he doesn't understand it and he mm. doesn't want to talk about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that is generational, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's super interesting. I my parents I've never had a coming out moment. Like I've never sat my parents down and been like, I'm gay, this is what that means. Like mm. I one, just don't feel like I need to. I My sisters never did that and they're straight. Why do I have to make a spectacle of my mm-hmm. sexuality? I don't like that. So That's healthy. I'm just not going to. Mm. And also, like, I'm not hiding it. Mm. If they wanted to have a conversation with me about it, I'd be open to. Mm. I'm just not going to... Yeah, it's very much don't ask, don't tell at the yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been, like, very much tiptoed around. It's, like, a super strange... Like, I broke up with my ex-boyfriend and the first thing my dad said to me was, like, we would we would be happy and we would support anyone that you bring home. That's sweet. And it was like, he repeated like four times. He was like, anyone that you bring here, it's okay. He's repeating because he's like, just, yeah, just wanted to let I you just know wanna, I yeah, know. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a cute little daddy moment. Yeah, it was super Papa bear. nice and unexpected because I dad is super not into queer things and yeah. queer people and is just quite a traditional valued type mm. guy. Also religious, grew up in a religious household. Um, so it was a very, I don't know, weird moment of me going, is that, did he, was that what he meant? Is that real? Okay, mm. cool. Uh, yeah. At least you have the support, really which is Yeah, really which is nice. Yeah. 
Mm. So do you find you have the yeah, support of your parents now that you... It's been really hard work. Yeah. But yes, I do. Well, more so my mum. Mm. Still working on my relationship with my dad. When I say my dad, my dad is actually my stepdad, but mm-hmm. I call him dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he raised me from the like from one years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, and then mum and dad had um, my brother. Um, right. So yeah, dad's dad. And then biological father I mentioned before. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any contact with him, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, dad is um, still that same sort of way. Like doesn't really bring things up or if he brings things up it's very light you know like I struggle with it because um in my mind when you love someone you want to know yes you you want to know about their life yeah unconditional love means that like you learn to understand things that other people like because you love them that much Mm -hmm. um and I feel like I do that like I mean I go deep sea fishing with my dad or Mm. I help I do all sorts of stuff around the property and I've sort of spent my life investing into my family's interests Mm -hmm. but they don't do it back and that's the struggle I've sort of had with them even where they're like I'm accepting accepting of you being gay or even doing drag um it's still like okay we'll ask about yeah where's that (laughs) next next, next level of support yeah acceptance and get that from my mum yeah um but it's been a long road um but I've endured it because as much as I say I've struggled with my queerness with my family um I haven't struggled being loved and so I've held on to knowing that I've been loved to, for that end goal of being like, well, I'll push because you will accept me yeah. because you do love me. Yeah. Um, it sounds a bit shitty that you even have to go to that effort, but you know, I love my parents too. So I want to go to that. Effort yeah. And yeah. I think you probably are looking at it in the way it sounds like of that. That's what they've always known. And so maybe it's going to take them a while to get to the point where they can be super like out there supportive of it but you'll give them the time to do that absolutely and i'm a shoe on the other foot type of person you Mm. know they were born again christians they condition their mind to knowing a certain thing so it's hard to uncondition or unlearn things Mm -hmm. i'm even learning that in life um just growing up around the noosa shire means white bread Mm. um so i've sort of had to grow like misogynistic ways and even like um like casual racism, yeah. huge problem in Australia. Such a yeah. big but problem. like in Noosa, everyone's white, and like even the indigenous people um, aren't present in the community mm. on the Sunshine Coast. Well, they weren't with me growing up. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I've had to unlearn lots of things. So, going back to what I was saying before, with my parents, they sort of had to like kind of unlearn things and that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's so nice I have that to you're be... giving them the chance to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel not like... Not that you have to, but it's great that you are. No, not that you have to. And I'm one of those people where I understand with any kind of um, protest. I'm a educational protester. So, like, I love to write a sign and protest in the street and make some noise. But I'm one of those people where I'm like, if I actually say, hey, imagine if someone did this to you or give a relative term and then it makes people understand. Makes it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through kindness and education or relative terms, I'm actually giving someone an actual perspective as yeah. opposed to like, oh, we can't say, we can't say faggot anymore mm-hmm. yeah, because that's bad. Yeah. It's like, well, why is that bad? Yeah. Do they understand why? Literally, and then yeah. it'll make them yeah. even more deeply think of why it's offensive. Yeah. I did this Absolutely. exact thing last night where someone said something to, so I was at a party and this 
girl was sitting next to me who was blonde hair, blue eyes, very pale skin. And he made a passing comment about how she could... She was saying her family's from um, Kiribati, which is like a Pacific island. Um, And he was like, your family can't be from there. You're so white. Oh, that's like the mean girls thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I turned to him and I was like, um, I don't think that that is what, like, I don't think that's, you shouldn't be saying that. Yeah. Um, and he was like, what, what do you mean? And I was like, well, that's kind of like a racial microaggression. It like, is. to assume somebody's identity and, like, invalidate their experience because mm. of what you're seeing on face value. It's like, I also um, look like a white person, but I'm not. And mm. that's really upsetting that, like, you know, that you're invalidating her experience, saying where her family's coming from and not believing her. Like, and he shut down he didn't want to have a conversation with me he was like being really rude about it and i was trying like, to be educa- and you're probably being kind yeah. and educational about and it. then it was probably like 10 minutes later and he went excuse me and he tapped me on the hand and i turned back to him and he was like i'm really sorry if i offended you like i actually didn't realize what you were saying and i explained to him more and i was like look no i appreciate the fact that you're apologizing i'm just letting you know what you said was not super appropriate maybe you should think about like the way you have that conversation next time like mm. it's just you know not a very nice thing to say he was like no i really appreciate that and like we had a productive conversation about it. Yeah. Which is, I guess, what you want to do at the end of the day. Like, educate. Not, through not conversation, be not angry at people yeah. for having different opinions. And, and for, well, for not knowing, really. Yeah, and you're like, never, never going to get anywhere that way. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, I don't want to um, make the correlation with people and dogs. <laughs> but I'm using this reference. Is um, if you're trying to teach a dog by smacking it, and putting it in a corner, it's only going to fear you. Um, and as minorities, if we're just sort of smacking people and yelling at them and isolating them in a corner for being bad, bad, um, what are they going to learn as opposed to you? what they're saying to you is just pisses you off? Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is only my belief and there are other ways of protesting that do get through to people, but it's just my way of thinking is like, how about instead of, getting mad say hey what you said was kind of offensive can i explain why yeah. yeah give give level with them and give them like you're not sort of coming from a place of being above them you're actually saying like hey like hey we're equal can i explain to you why you've offended me mm-hmm. and then that way like they're receptive yes um, and on that as well i think the um like media and like certain like ignorant people will take those who do go with that like hit the dog approach and mm. run with that and say, that's the whole minority group that does this. Mm. Like when people say all feminists are like feminist Nazis. Yeah. And it's like, that's not true. You're taking mm. a few people who maybe have a stance that wouldn't, you know, that isn't educational or kind. Yeah. And you're running with that. Mm. So I think that stance that you're doing is much more progressive. Yeah. yeah. And I'd like, I'd like to encourage um, passionate um, protesters for any cause out there listening mm-hmm. um, to always just kind of remember that you know you are valid and you are heard but you know sometimes a silent approach is better too um but i do admire the um the aggressive protesters i mean sometimes i see their raw passion i'm sitting there going you're like shit right (laughs) i'm like that's really like shameless and selfless and fierce and i'm like i don't know i've never been able to do that i've always just come from like very soft yes Mm. yes yes so you've been involved in the queer entertainment scene for over 15 years. Mm. So how did you get into the scene and the type of performing genres that you've been a part of? Well, dancing mm-hmm. um, has been a huge part of my life. 
Um, and yeah, I used to make wearable art and things in school. Um, so I was always just sort of involved with fashion and being like John Galliano um, for Dior and um, Alexander McQueen. I used to see all that sort of stuff and my art teachers used to show me all their like designs and I used to just get really inspired. Um, and I think I was like in grade 12 and I entered this wearable art contest in Yamundi. I think it was like the Australian body art festival or something. Oh, fun. I had a wearable art section and my model had to cancel. So I ended up modeling my oh, outfit myself. Yes. And um, it was sort of in the time where um, uh, now named Andrea Pavik, um, I think European Australian descent, um, Adelaide or Western Australia model, mm-hmm. um, very androgynous, um, was modeling and I was sort of like, well, I'm pretty, you know, like I could be that. Yeah. So I sort of got into drag on a whim because I was like, oh, I want to model my creations. And I saw drag queens in going into nightclubs and things. And I was just sort of like, okay. I could do that. I could do that. Like I could become this sort of creation. But it was more an opportunity for me to be like fashiony and live out this sort of fantasy than mm-hmm. it was that I liked drag. Yeah. I just saw people dressing femme. Um, and then I just sort of developed, started developing that. But this was like. I had a fake ID. So I was like, I was 17. <laughs> it was like yeah. 2000, it was oh, wow. 2007 people. Yeah. Um, and I remember like, it was probably like 20, a 2008 or 2009. Um, I had been with my partner for a couple of years at this point And someone came up to me and they're like, it's lucky that you have Scott because no one's going to love you if you do drag. Drags are freaks. Oh. So this is the demographic of drag that I've entered, like that drag right. queens weren't respected yet on. because we hadn't had drag race. So it wasn't this phenomenon. Yeah. Mainstream. Uh, and that's definitely changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I essentially just sort of fell into drag because I'm just a creative um, Fruit Loop. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Did you always um, kind of dress a bit like androgynous and like, you know, kind of gender fluidy? I don't really remember. Yeah. I don't know. It just it's happened so long one day ago. Or? I'm old, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you don't look it. Uh, well, makeup <laughs> helps. Um, I definitely know once I sort of turned 18, maybe through to like age 25, um, I was like on a warpath um, because my coming out was so awful and where I came from, it was like my big fuck you to everyone, yeah. the way that I daily presented. Um, I don't really present overly flamboyant anymore, mm. or I definitely pick when I want to like mm. today. Um, <laughs> yeah. But my day to day look, but I used to like wear wigs and beanies and skirts and long, and I used to wear like bindies and elf ears and fairy oh, reeds. Wow. Um, and just, yeah, like I just wanted to like be like, I'm really feminine. Fuck you, world. It was like my silent protest. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What was the question? I totally <laughs> ripped it off. <laughs> well, it was kind of, um, yeah, how you got it, how you got into, yeah. Oh, I got into drag, and right. Drag and, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, being a dancer, the main thing that got me onto a stage was uh, being a dancer and a male in Australia, unless you are a man. Um, you won't get work. And yeah, so I would constantly get to the final stages of auditions for cruise ships, musicals, all that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And they'd be like, you're the best dancer in the room, but you just don't fit, fit the bill. Well, you don't have the right look or you're not man enough. enough. Yeah. Um, and all that rejection sort of end up deterring me away from dancing. So in a way I saw drag gigs as dance gigs. So for the better part of my early drag years from maybe like 2008 to like, 
2011. Um, I wouldn't even drink if I had a gig. Yeah. It'd be like, I'm a dancer. I'm performing, I'm working. Sending my invoice, getting my cash. Yeah. Um, so you kind of used it as a way to, yeah, use your dance skills and training. Yeah. And I think that's almost what of sort of separates me from a lot of drag queens now is they get into drag because they see drag where it's like, I saw drag as an avenue to be a dancer or an avenue to be a fashion designer. Um, And I still think that kind of translates now. I mean, often people go, I don't know if I even see you as a drag queen. You're something else. And I'm Mm. like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I am. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Well, sort of going off of that, you Mm -hmm. were previously known as Jess Who. Mm -hmm. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about who Jess was and your... Who? Jess who? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I need to do the pun. <laughs> I had to do it. Louise never thank gets the puns. Oh, wow. She takes like Well, welcome. Beat. Welcome oh, aboard. Yeah, she you. got us straight I'm away. Getting I'm getting yeah. there. I'm yeah. getting That was very fast. Normally it's after we finish recording <laughs> and then I explain then I'm like, it and she's like, I'm going to sound oh dumb God. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm getting there. I'm getting um, there. <laughs> but anyways, do you want to tell, tell us a little bit about who Jess was and why you chose to transition sort of away from that? Yeah, so um, I I don't know, like Jess is just an extension of me. I see drag as my art form. Um, I'm innately creative, so I have to create to be happy. So my drag has reflected my journey as well. So there's periods where I'm happy and I'm androgynous and I'm being fashion forward and there's periods where I'm subjecting to what people want because um, I need to pay bills and I'm completely unhappy in my life and I had a little break um, and all that sort of stuff but Jess essentially is just an extension of me but um, I guess she's just an artistic showgirl I guess Mm. Um, and the reason I sort of decided to step away was um, I did Fluffy Starlet at the beginning of the year um, as sort of my little comeback. Yeah. At the beginning, it was like, oh, I'm going to come back and um, reintroduce Jess Who in a more authentic way because when I stopped Jess Who, I had about a two-year break and I sort of tentatively did drag for some charity events. Mm -hmm. So there was a whole scene of people that didn't really know who I was. I was like, I'm going to reintroduce myself. Um, one, I was reintroducing myself more authentically, just being doing drag for me. But secondly, it was to join this group of drag that I hadn't experienced before. Because when I started drag, it was every queen for themselves. And the sporty girls were the sporty girls, the beat girls were the beat girls, the Wickham girls were the Wickham girls. It wasn't really shared around and it was um, really catty. And so I sort of entered this world that was just sort of like, I'm just here to get a gig and Mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. fun and be artistic and be myself. And so I guess I've always sort of had my defenses with drag queens. And in a way, I don't have a lot of drag friends. Um, And so I was kind of excited at the prospect of meeting all these girls and building a connection with this community that is now actually a community. Um, And what I come to realize was I'm not sure how welcome I was in the new scene. Mm. Um, but the one thing that I always thought I never had that took fluffy starlet for me to realize was I never really thought that I had the love and respect from my friends and family. And it wasn't until they started coming every week and I'd give them a theme to dress in that matched my stage thing. And, um, they were just showing up every week. Mm. And after starlet, 
one, I had glandular fever the whole way <gasps> through Scarlet. And I was up till like three o'clock sewing. I How did, did you do that? I had glandular and I couldn't even move. I don't know, honestly. I had COVID twice at the beginning of the year. I had oh glandular fever. God. It was, yeah, I wow. went through it. Wow. And um, I'm so proud of my journey on Starlet because I literally did everything myself. Yeah, yeah wow. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool. But once I finished Starlet, I was exhausted and I took a step back and I was like, you know what? I've modeled in drag. I have, you know, advocated for, um, you know, HIV, sexual health. Um, I've, you know, done advertisements. I've performed basically in like every club in Brisbane. I've worked full time as a drag queen. I was like, mm. I actually just think that the support from my friends and family was the thing that made my cup full. And I was like, I think I can walk away from this now. Um, and so I decided that. Queen's Ball was going to be like my last night doing drag ever. Um, and then I announced it to everyone. And I think that was maybe preemptive. And also maybe seeing if people cared <laughs> that yeah. I was quitting. Um, what was that process like? Announcing well, it. Well, announcing it, um, my take back was either people didn't believe me or they didn't care, which yeah. was a bit sad. Mm. Um, but rebirthing my creativity I don't really want to call myself a drag queen anymore because I'm looking beyond nightclubs and that kind of avenue Mm. um not to say that I'm above it or anything like that I just feel like my journey now is taking everything that I learned in drag and putting it into a different kind of artistry or something like that so I really don't know what Miss Star is yet that's exciting though it is exciting um so yeah i've really i've got ideas and concepts and um a few kind of goals that i want to do but um yeah i think it's just going to be a bit of a process but um i've got drag children so um, i've got four four main ones yeah um but i have helped so many of uh australia's icons along their beginning of their journey Mm. um but, yeah, they were the House of Who, so now they're the House of Stars. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That, that works too. It does that work, works. Yeah. yeah. And they all are stars in their own right. That's why I even took them on as drag children. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. So that's my little uh, Jess Who journey Yeah. coming into Miss Star. And essentially, like, you can never really quit drag because when you've had a career as long as 15 years and been involved with the scene as long as I was, and like I said, I'm innately creative, it doesn't really leave you. Drag yeah. is sort of in my blood um but i just want to channel drag and something that's a bit different and a little less commercial because commercialism kind of pisses me off a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i think that's fair Mm. that we could go all the way into that but that would be a long conversation (laughs) so much conversation we need episode two (laughs) yes we'll do that we'll do that we'll do a whole episode on just commercialism (laughs) capitalism Um, all right, so something we wanted to discuss with you is the fact that you're HIV positive. That's correct, yes. Um, it's not really something we've ever spoken about on the pod at all, but um, we all thought it was a really important topic to to talk about just because of the stigmas and myths that are all around that. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your experience? Absolutely. Um, and thank you for bringing it up. Because, you know, um, I really hope that what I have to say will help our listeners. Yeah. Thank you for wanting to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So my HIV journey, well, because I was diagnosed in 2019. So by this stage, we had PrEP. 
Um, and, you know, a large sum of our community is educated mm. on it. So I didn't experience too much backlash um, about my status. Um, but essentially, I was in a really dark place in my life. Um, <clears throat> I essentially was behaving in a way I was smoking meth and mm. having a lot of unprotected sex and hanging out with really dangerous people um, because honestly I had no self-worth and I was behaving, it was almost suicidal the way that I was behaving. Um, yep. I essentially wanted to die so I was behaving in a way that would get me killed wow. um, and essentially that led to me getting HIV. Um, it doesn't always happen that way. Some people can just have sex with the wrong person and... Um, get HIV you know sometimes people don't get tested and they have it and they mm -hmm. don't know um but the way that I caught it was that way and um it took a couple of years for me to even process that and then when I was diagnosed um I was diagnosed with syphilis gonorrhea and HIV wow um so you can imagine how diseased and dirty I felt yeah. um and I think that's the stigma that is behind it, that if you get HIV, you know, you are a meth-smoking, diseased crackhead. Um, and that's not the truth. Um, and, yeah, that's a pretty shitty thing. Mm. So, anyway, all that's sort of weighing on my shoulders. My diagnosis is awful too. So, essentially, I got diagnosed, started my processes for the STDs that can be fixed. That's yeah. fine. Um, happy to talk about them too. Can mm. we um, stop stigmatizing sexual um, transmitted it's so diseases? Easy it's awful. To get I'm them. like, girl, just <laughs> like, yeah. go so to the chemist. My, absolutely. $9.50, yeah. clear it up. Make absolutely. sure you tell people, stop the spread, move yeah. on. Yeah, why would you not? Yeah, so yeah. I started um, my process for that. But essentially, when you first get diagnosed, you have to do um, a blood resistance test. So essentially, they take about eight to ten vials of blood. Wow. Um, wow. And they do a resistance test on all different medications that um, essentially see what your body is either going to reject or take and work. Um, so they took my blood, but it takes about three weeks for you to get an actual response. Mm. So I'm just going, getting rid of my STDs, but knowing I've got HIV and try to process my new diagnosis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, going to the doctor. We've lost your blood. Oh, no. Where do you lose your... Yeah. Where is it? What? And considering it's 2019, new diagnosis is a pretty minimal. Um, the fact that they lost my blood. So they had to retake my blood and I was <sighs> like, okay, well... I think at the time I was just sort of trying to be nice and just sort of trying to comprehend what was happening. Mm. But what I really needed was like, well, help me here. Like, give me, yeah. I need, I need like, um, the place where I don't want to name names, but the place where I did, they also had like mental health services and stuff. I was like, I need that. Can I have a therapist? Like, mm -hmm. can someone yeah. help me here? Cause I'm struggling. Yeah. Um, so they took my blood again and then it gets to three weeks and they're like, you're going to have to wait another week more. And I got to the point where I was like, I need to be on meds. Yeah. Um, because with meds, I knew that I could live a happy, healthy life. Yeah. I had friends with HIV. I was educated um, in that department. All I just knew was I needed to get on meds. Yeah. Um, and were you quite sick at this time as well? Like No, I wasn't. It was early. They diagnosed me pretty early stages. So yeah. um, HIV, for listeners out there who don't yeah, really maybe understand it. A bit, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, HIV, a human immuno, um, immunodeficiency virus. Mm-hmm. I think I said Sorry that right. That. Yeah, it's <laughs> big words. 
Um, I'm just a pretty performer. <laughs> You're a medical expert. Um, and AIDS are the same thing. Um, the way that it turns into AIDS is when um, your viral load um, gets to a point where it then becomes detriment to your mm-hmm. um immune system yeah um and then because your immune system basically can't battle off a simple cold um then you end up dying so people don't die of aids they die of something else that aids has caused yeah um and so um i'm what we we call on the streets um u plus so it means um uh positive undetectable um, so it means that um, the viral load in my blood is zero or it needs to be, I think, 100 or less um, for it to be untransmittable. So basically, like, I can go and have unprotected sex, um, you know, just any of that sort of category um, and not pass it on to oh, anyone. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then for people on prep as well, like, I mean, I think it's like 0.0001% chance of um, HIV being mm. transmitted. So essentially medication has stopped HIV in its tracks. Yeah. Yes, um, and then prep even more so, especially in the queer community. It's pretty incredible. Like it is the incredible. science, the progression of science. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In, in that time. Is Absolutely. that also like the level of, um, what was it? The plus the virus viral load is, yeah. Is that also determines like how, yeah, how sick you can get. Yeah. Easily? So, um, when I was diagnosed, my viral load was about 13,000 and I was at a viral load of zero within three weeks on meds. Wow. Wow, so 13,000 sounds like a big number, but it's really not. It's quite small. Um, so I have a friend whose diagnosis was 1 million wow. um, and it took nine months to get to a viral load of zero. So mm-hmm. when the like AIDS epidemic happened, mm-hmm. was that be- there was no medication or anything for HIV and so it would like... Oh, the history of AIDS. I mean, we could do a whole episode on that. Yeah. But um, essentially what happened was no one knew how it was being passed around. So It, it used to be called GRID, I believe, if I'm speaking mm. correctly, mm. which was gay-related immune disorder because mm-hmm. they thought that that's specifically where it came from. And that's from. where the stigma comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, because um, as a queer community, I mean, sexually transmitted viruses and diseases get passed around with sexually active people mm. and queer i'm kind of proud that we are very um sexually free yeah i think it's awesome um but of course that means that you know religious sources push us to that demographic yeah. um of it being a gay disease and we're seeing again with freaking monkeypox like fuck oh. off are we going through this again what i was the like hell? ptsd oh, yeah. um Actually. so yeah what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Just your experience. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, really? um, that's my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first got diagnosed, I knew that I needed to process my diagnosis. Um, I knew I wanted to be out about it. Um, I've always kind of been very honest with my platform. Um, I think it's pretty... I always get in a bit of disbelief when I even have a platform because I'm sort of like, well, who am I? So if I'm going to have a platform, I've got to use it for good, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, even like me being here today, I wanted to talk about HIV because it's important. Yeah. Um, and I knew that I was always going to be honest about my status, but um, I needed time. So I um, confided in a group of five friends that are essentially like this is this is what's happening and you know you guys are my support network and they're like yep yep we're here for you 
And one of those people, they told their partner and their partner told their mum. And their mum is sort of intertwined with other drag queens in the scene. Um, And then the way I knew was because she messaged me and asked how I was and if I was okay and if I need anything. Um, And I was like, okay, if she's told someone, who else have they told? This and is not on my terms. Yeah. Mm. And one really shitty thing about being um, a figure, I wouldn't call it fame or popular, it's definitely just a figure, <laughs> um, in the queer scene is um, your business becomes everyone else's gossip. Um, even if it's something as serious as that. Yeah, but like even like who you sleep with is yeah. high school. Yeah. Mm. Um, And because I had seen other people who were diagnosed and the type of gossip that they received in the locker room, so to speak, Mm. I knew that I needed to basically um, bang it on its head and gain that control of it or keep my power. So I essentially – I spent about two weeks writing a poem – Um, about my status and writing how I was going to tell the world that I have HIV. Um, I didn't want to sound like a victim and I didn't want to sound like HIV was the end of me um, because it's important to know that none of those things are a thing. You know, if you get HIV, you get HIV no matter how you've gotten it. And um, if you've got HIV, it's not a death sentence and you're going to be totally fine. Yeah. Um, it's not something to be ashamed like of. Like everyone chill out. Mm. So I essentially came out about my status prematurely because I needed that power to be in my court um, without it becoming a point of gossip. That's so brave. Um, and I also – thank you for saying it's brave – to me, I think I was just – it was self-defense. Yeah, you were probably terrified because you're like – Because, I, <laughs> I mean, I um, at this stage, I was taking a bit of a break from Jess. Um, I wasn't drinking. Um, I quit the gear. Mm. And um, I was trying to fix up my life a little bit. And then I got diagnosed with HIV and I'm like, oh, fuck. Fucking hell. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to ask um, how that – timeline was mm, of yeah. like you know being not really in a, a great space to yeah so i was living with a housemate and we just weren't working yeah. um they were fantastic but it just wasn't working between us my clinical depression was at an all-time low yeah. like i said i was behaving in a way that i just wanted to kill myself mm-hmm. and um something had to give and i don't even know what came over me i think i just was like okay well i could die or i could live so yeah started to live and then yeah obviously um stepped away from living in that place and then i also was like i'm gonna take a break from drag um best decision i ever made mm. um and even though i got diagnosed with hiv which is a big bummer um i got to i got to connect with my friends in a different way because not only when like you know every time your friends come out with you i'm doing a gig so I'm working. I don't yeah. actually get to enjoy a night out with my friends. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that was sort of the timeline. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I was saying with like my coming out, the shitty thing is, we was talking about this um, just off camera and off microphone before, but like um, drag queens 
yes, they have sort of a power and a figure in the queer community, but they also become these sort of like gossip channels. Like people feel like they own us and that mm. our, our information and our private lives and how we live our lives and even like what we do or if we make a wrong move or anything like that, this becomes this sort of pinnacle of a conversation. Right. And I'm like, okay. It's like reality TV, but it's not. Yeah, but it yeah, just my life. my life. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. um, and so that's why I was like, I need to take this power back because mm-hmm. everyone's just gonna bitch about me and create a narrative for me that and isn't make mine. up things that aren't what the reality is. Yeah, which you can tell your story and that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I don't really like. I don't really want to call myself popular because I don't really think that people talked about me that much, but I know that people did. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to gain that power back. Yeah. Um. And that's just a really shitty reality for drag queens just in general because that's my experience yeah. is um, what we have to experience. Like the fact that I even had to think about getting my power back in yeah. a time that I hadn't even processed something that was going to impact the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and it's last year I got gonorrhea, as you do. Oh, Oops. Um, <laughs> and then I stopped having sex for six months because – I realized I hadn't processed my diagnosis because I was such in a rush of saving myself mm, yeah. from um, the words of no one who knew me to even process my diagnosis. And like, it's important for people to lis- listeners out there to understand that like, I had to go through turmoil just to save myself yeah. um, from a stigma that should be eliminated now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you think that it is starting to get more eliminated or it's still quite... It's definitely getting more eliminated. Yeah. But um, I'm off the dating apps mm-hmm. and boys and sex and stuff at the moment. Just yeah. I'm on a different warpath now with... Yeah. Do you get a lot of um, like therapy and mental health? Yeah. And stuff? Yeah. 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 So good. Therapist. Oh. Therapy works, people. So therapy it's works. It's so good. Yeah. Why is this so fucking expensive? <laughs> Literally it's way like, too expensive. Yeah, it is. It's mm. really sad that it's and not hard accessible. to get in. Yeah, that it's not accessible for everyone, which is really unfortunate mm-hmm. um but it's just so good but it is so good it really is i don't understand i feel like that's a, a massive stigma too i mean i'm not i feel yeah. like it is um but it's weird because it's just like physical health like it's exactly yeah, the it's same like thing going to the doctor help. i go to the doctor it's for exactly my, the my broken thing. leg i go yeah. to the doctor for my broken brain yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely thing. get help yeah like i'm on a different warpath now yeah mm. um but what led me to deleting Grinder, maybe like three weeks ago or something now, Ooh. I got called an AIDS fucker. <gasps> mm. So as much as it's being eliminated, it's still around. Wow. And um, the problem we have with the internet is um, an- anonymity. Yeah. Um, this sort of anonymous hate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, behind the screen and mm. say, yeah. And I was even thinking about things the other day in my little analytical mind I have. And I was thinking um, – uh, something Tater. There's a Andrew. Oh, Andrew. Andrew, Andrew Tate. Yes. Um, I was talking about it with a 14 year old client. Um, they then pronouns the coolest kid you've ever met in your life, <laughs> and they were talking about how in an Australian school there's a following of Tater Tots. Yeah. And I, I was sort of saying to them that um, it almost makes it worse because we have all this information to know that being homophobic or being misogynistic is bad, Mm -hmm. but yet people still choose to do it. 
So now we're at this point where we have all the information at our fingertips and we're still choosing to say things like that to people. Um, So it's like, yes, the stigma is going and we know better, but we're still choosing to hate. And it's like, I can't decide what to, what you do. But um, if you understand, you know, like even like my story, like the pain that I had to go through just to sort of say, Hey guys, I've got HIV and I'm fine. Where what's happening behind closed doors is um, I've just saved myself from basically killing myself. I've just got diagnosed with HIV while I'm trying to get better. And then I'm trying to like save myself and also like not stigmatize myself and all that sort of stuff. Navigate so many tricky waters. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. And like my warpath now is basically trying to fix all the self-worth that I didn't have. Yeah. Do you think also like, getting deep but do you think just who there's like some bad memory like things correlated to that because that was like a hard time in your life absolutely and now it's like stepping out of that and well while be- i was going through that period before i was diagnosed and what led me to end up quitting was um i sold my soul like just who was supposed to be an extension of monty and my creativity and essentially i was just delivering what everyone wanted was this sort of like ultra femme bikini wearing mm. um you know, fish queen, as we called it then. Um, I think, yeah, now you just have to like put it to bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think that's why I kind of was like, okay, well, I do kind of want to let go of drag a little bit because I, f- I feel a pressure on my shoulders to yeah. be a certain way as a drag queen, as opposed to Miss Star is just going to be an extension of me completely yeah. Um, and just be more of an artist. And I'm probably, I don't really know if I'm going to be performing in nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at auditioning for some shows again. Oh, wow. um, like some musical theater Yeah, shows. or even doing some like live art yeah, and just be cool. being a little bit like bit kooky. Yeah. The way that I'm describing Miss Star in my mind before I even put my hands in <laughs> is um, like a mixture between creative drag contemporary art Mm. and a hippie that goes to woodford (laughs) twice a year yeah okay Mm. i like it yeah Yeah. so i just want to be like very raw and fluid and just do you you. yeah wave my hairy armpits around yeah (laughs) (laughs) like you had to do what everyone else has wanted to do for so long then it's fucking time to just yeah and in a way letting go jess was like freeing for me because um it was like okay well Letting go of Jess who eliminates all that expectation that I thought I had. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was there. It might have just been my own expectation but of myself. Even, even but even that is yeah. like weighs on you, your own mm-hmm. expectations of what you should be doing. Mm. Yeah. When really it mm. just puts so much pressure on yourself to do what you want to do. Like Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Pressure. What um <laughs> advice would you give to like young queer performers that you wish you'd heard? Um, I think it's sort of like why I end up taking on drag kids. I always used to think the concept of being a drag mother was a bit silly because I was like, what do we need drag mothers for? Um, and then I came to realise we need drag mothers because we don't have those mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, often I explain to people, I'm like, I have drag children. I'm like, what, what the hell is a drag child? And I'm <laughs> I like, didn't know what that I'm was. Like, I'm just a mentor in the artistry. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm guiding these artists to refine their craft. Um, so my advice is... Um, Find someone that's going to refine your craft and your mind um, for the better. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean drag or performing. That just means mentally. I mean, I think every drag queen 
um, is just an extension of their creative selves. And your creative self is the extension of um, your soul and your feelings and who you are. Um, so, you know, a drag mentor could be your grandpa who's, you know, got a lot of life advice and yeah. installs really good things in you. Might um, not know anything about makeup Imagine being hair, like, but- my non-drag <laughs> grandfather is my drag mum. <laughs> That's kind of iconic. I love that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my advice is um, find someone. And then if it's not someone that you can speak to, find someone who has good values. Yeah. yeah. Um, understand those values for yourself mm-hmm. as opposed to copying them um, and implement them. Good advice. Okay. The last big question. Oh, the last, last big question. <laughs> the very wow. important question. <laughs> the very, very important <laughs> one. What makes you most pr- proud to be queer? Oh, wow. Big question. <laughs> big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really unapologetic. That makes me really proud. Um, I think we get lost in the um, heteronormative mindset I see a lot of like queer, especially like cis white queer men. They'll be like, why do we have to parade sex? Um, Why do we have to be shirtless? Why do we have to do this? I'm like, because sex was our protest. Mm. Uh, We were unapologetic about that in a time that everything was Catholic and um, sex was taboo and all this sort of stuff. And so sex was our protest. And, um, you know, drag queens are like this sort of like really animated, colourful, um, it was the loudest, like drag queens were the loudest um, non-verbal protest that we could have, mm. that sort of thing. So I think um, I'm just proud about being unapologetic and being ourselves. I think that's what makes me proud about being queer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. you, everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you all. <laughs> everyone else. Thank you so much for coming on. Not that a problem was, at all. We really appreciate you opening up. Yeah, and sharing so much with us. Oh, I love to get deep. Yeah, it's mm. so fucking In good. In more ways than one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And I hope that it's like helped anyone listening yeah, who really, might have really gone through similar things. Absolutely. Or just, you know, maybe just have a stigma in their own education brain. Point absolutely. Of view, like just to mm. know more about it. It's really, really, we really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. And like for any listeners out there, um, if you have any questions, uh, my Instagram is Monty the Monstar, M-O-N-S-T-A-R. Um, please shoot me a question. Um, and if you think that um, any of my opinions, um, you know, could could be educated, I could learn more, um, please let me know too because um, I'm always wanting to learn and grow. I love that. Yeah. Um, I never really want to um, have a platform and think that um, what I say goes. Um, I think, you know. I can learn too. And, you know, I might listen to this podcast and three years time ago, hmm, shouldn't have said that. I should be more educated with That's that. That's the thing, you change and grow. You yeah, can't always absolutely. know exactly what's going on at all times. Yeah. We're only human. Yeah, but thank you for having me on this gorgeous day. Yes. Thank you so much it's for coming. No worries. That was amazing. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, look, I've got just yes. the right amount <laughs> left. left. Right. Stunning. Chin, 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 motherfucker.